Happiness is letting go everything you think your life is supposed to be and celebrating everything that it really is. I just like that so much Mm -hmm. because it's kind of training yourself to adapt to what's real. Welcome to Aging in Style with me, Lori Williams. I'm an optimist by nature, and I believe you can follow your dreams at any age. My grandmother's journey with dementia ignited a passion in me to work with seniors. I've spent the past 13 years learning about seniors and aging. In my mid-50s, I followed my own dream and founded my company, where I use my expertise to help seniors locate housing and resources. On this podcast, we cover all aspects of aging. Join us each week to meet senior living experts and inspirational seniors who are following their dreams. The fact is, we're all aging, so why not do it in style? Hi, welcome to Aging in Style with Lori Williams. I'm glad you're here today because we have a amazing guest. I'm so excited to interview this lady. I just finished reading her book and it was excellent. I recommend it for everyone. I'm actually going to have a copy sent to my mom as well. But let me introduce her first. Her name is Catherine SD, PhD. She is 87 years old and she is a best-selling author, psychologist, a widow, a mother, a grandmother, and an activist for aging well. She's on a mission to dispel myths about old age and to end ageism, which limits and undermines the most experienced among us. And I love that because I am on board with the same mission. Um, Catherine lives in a retirement community west of Boston, and her recent book, the one that I just finished reading and sending to my mom, is called 80-somethings, A Practical Guide to Letting Go, Aging Well, and Finding Unexpected Happiness. So welcome, Catherine. Well, thank you so much. I'm uh, just very pleased to be here and talking to your listeners and sharing some of what's happened to me that I think uh, is interesting in terms of uh, being older myself. And Mm -hmm. uh, when I turned 80, it wasn't always that way. I was in kind of a funk and it was sort of capped off when I took a small hike up a very small mountain that I had hiked up for 40 years And when we got to the very steep part, I was with a bunch of my uh, sons and and grandkids. I'd fallen and I was kind of getting out of breath. And I realized I was not going to be able to make it up the mountain this year. And that was the year I was 80. And I was crushed. So I sat down on a stump and I thought, I am old. I can't go on and be, you know, that I can just keep doing everything. I can't. And I just sat on that stump and the rest of them all, except one of my sons, stayed with me and we sat there while the rest went up to the mountain and had lunch and they came back about an hour and a half later and I by then had kind of knit myself together a little bit but I really understood that at that moment that I was older and I just couldn't keep holding on to everything that I had held on to before mm-hmm. so that was a kind of a watershed event for me And uh, it took me a few months to get out of it. And that's when I found out I started saying, well, maybe somebody knows how to be 80 and kind of do this well. And I started thinking, well, maybe I'll interview people and find out how you do this. So that's the start of my book and also the start of me dispelling my funk and finding out that people in their 80s are really happy. And I love hearing that. And and I get what you're saying that it was sort of the physical thing. You realize you just kind of hit that. Okay, I physically can't do, but mentally and everything, you're still the same person. It's just I can't climb a mountain like I did before. That's right. And, and But I did realize as I started interviewing people, first of all, that I found out to my surprise, you know, and I, then I started doing research too and found out that people in their 80s 
are happier than people in their 70s. And then I found out people that are in their 70s are happier than people in their 60s. That I did not know. And yet when I interviewed 128 people in their 80s and all but a handful were just kind of saying, well, the biggest surprise about being older is first that it's a surprise that you are older. <laughs> We're always surprised by that. But the second biggest surprise is how unexpectedly happy they are. So it's kind of hard to really absorb because so many of us have dreaded seeing being older. And, you know, there are some transitions that you have to go through and it, it is a, a piece of work too. Yeah, sure. And I think, you know, it is our culture that makes us dread getting older. Everything's about anti, anti-aging this and, and really celebrating youth over people who are older, which is crazy because we're all, God willing, going to get older. <laughs> so, yeah. If we're lucky, exactly. if we're lucky, we get to be 80 and to be older. And that's one of the things I've realized too, that being in your 80s or being older is a privilege in a certain sense mm-hmm. that not everybody, you know, there are people that don't make it. Yeah, I agree with that. So I find your research, what you did so interesting. So you interviewed um, 128 80-somethings all over the country. And I mean, not just in your area, but everywhere from all different walks of life and backgrounds. So tell us a little bit about what you found about um, transitioning as we age. Right. I found out that nobody gets through their 80s without having some major transitions. You know, in the 70s, you started that some people uh, have some transitions, but many people change households in their 80s. One of the major things is they downsize. I mean, I know I actually had moved before I was 80. I moved in my 70s and that happens in the 70s too. But that was like a major thing. I had a, you know, had had four children. And so I had a fairly large house, but it was clear that my husband couldn't manage it any longer. So we had moved and we decided he didn't want to move twice. So he said, let's just go to a retirement community. And so that's what we did. And he was in his 80s. He was a bit older than I was. But for me, that was a huge blow. I, a hard thing to accept for me. So Mm -hmm. as we were getting ready to move, I realized it was not only leaving my house and my beloved garden with this rhododendron and I had it's a nice old stone wall and it's a New England house, you know, the old uh, sort of colonial house. But it was all the things that were in my house that I couldn't take because we were moving to a small-ish, not, I mean, it's actually a large apartment, but it felt small. Mm -hmm. The good thing we did with, that helped me get over my stuff, Luke kind of having to leave so much stuff behind is that we invited all my children and the the grandchildren and we kind of put stickers on what we were going to take. And then we just invited everybody to take everything else, but they all got to different color sticker because we were going to take it and sort it out later. And I was, it was like a party. They was like a scavenger. Mm-hmm. And then I had so many surprises, you know, when my granddaughter who's in the military took a bunch of very flowery salad plates. I thought that was certainly didn't look like Julie, but anyway, people looked, took odd things and, and we took, it was just fun. And so that mm-hmm. was one of the things that we said to them, if two people want the same thing, the same picture, they should work it out. We weren't going to get into it. And exactly. And honor of my husband and me, they did it. So that was another kind of learning, but it is hard and it's very hard to to leave your home. But the big surprise for me was I never missed any of those stuff, those flowery salad plates. And, and the you know, once you're in the new place, your mind just doesn't think back. The only thing was I'd given up maybe too many books <laughs> and uh, I gave away a lot, but I brought some and uh, 
since I got here, I've been uh, allowing myself to buy more. So you, you kind of get in a place in your life where you don't want more stuff, but mm-hmm. I buy an occasional book. Yeah, that's great. I love that idea to make it like a party and a celebration and how wonderful to, instead of try to guess, okay, maybe these flowery plates would go to another granddaughter. You let people decide what meant something to them. And that was sort of a surprise, like you said to you. What they picked. I mean, it was hilarious. And now what's fun, I go to their houses. I was just down at a a grandson's graduation from college and I went to my son's house and there in their living room were three pieces of art, you know, from my house Uh that uh, my mother had painted watercolors. So that was just, you know, it became nice now, too. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, we're talking about transitions. One of the ones I didn't expect was I used to be five, six and three quarters. And now I am five, three. I I think I shrunk more than most people. And so I had to get used to being a smaller person. I mean, Mm -hmm. the first time said someone, Catherine, well, now you're a small person. I have always felt I was taller than average. I was shocked. But that was one of the easier ones to Mm -hmm. get over. But you know, um, I was in the hospital in June with a head of an operation. I had a blockage in my intestines and had to be operated on. And when I got back, the nurse told me I was going to have to be on a walker for a while. And I can't tell you how hard that was. I kept thinking, not me. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I walk, I'm strong. And, and so I kind of said, okay, and I did it. But I was really uh, reluctant and I realized I needed it and I actually fell again when I wasn't using it so I learned a little lesson so I think I understand that as we age we do have to make accommodations and mm-hmm. adaptations and um, sure enough I don't I'm not on a walker now I mean I with uh, some PT I got rid of that and mm-hmm. uh, each change from your your old style especially when it's come uh, interferes with your lifestyle is is a kind of blow and it's mostly pride but I was going to ask you, what do you think it is? Because we get that a lot where people don't use their walker, they really need it, and then they have a fall and then things, you know, change and not in a way that they want it to, you know, then they're really more disabled. So it's pride is what it comes down to, or maybe not even not seeing yourself as old. Like you said, it's a surprise that you're in your 80s and older. Right. And that you can't do everything. I always thought, you know, and my kids would say, you know, my grandmother can do push ups. They would. And so I was sort of getting off on being that grandmother and yeah. I, know I had to change not the grandmother that played soccer with the the boys i and now i'm a grandmother that'll say let's go to the movies or something you know mm-hmm. well, that because of the pandemic either but sure so that's kind of part of that letting go and letting go right changing who you are and then you also in the book describe it as a shrinking world and you mentioned already about how like you have become shorter <laughs> you've right. lost yeah, height that's one and, way yeah yeah and, um, you know, as I've been uh, in my 80s, I've, uh, well, of course, we've all traveled less because of the pandemic. That's mm-hmm. what it has kind of been uh, superimposed on our way of life. But everybody in their 80s gradually, I mean, there's some people that go on cruises and there's some, but many people travel less. And especially as you go from 81 to 89, there's a lot of changes there. And so it is a smaller world. And then many people have a smaller circle of friends and they kind of have some very close relationships. Now, if you come to a retirement community as I did, I have lots of new friends too, Mm -hmm. because it's a good way to keep making new friends. And um, that's been important to me. But 
it's still, I spend a lot of time in this building. It's a big building, my our retirement community. I don't, mm-hmm. compared to my former life where I worked and would get in the car and go to my office and have an office and have a work life. Uh, you know, I was head of a principal in a business too. And then I was a psychotherapist for 40 years. And um, I just actually retired from that this November at 80. Oh, wow. <laughs> at, at 87. I had gotten my practice had gotten smaller. It was like less, it was like a one third of a practice, but mm-hmm. I was holding on to my practice and kind of afraid to let go. Mm-hmm. And once I let go, I realized, oh, it was time. And uh, I was happier, less stressed. And that's something also in your book that I recall reading about letting go of certain things, you know, people who want to be on every board or, you know, busy and this and that and and how it in your 80s, you kind of step back and go, I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> Except some people don't, you know, yeah. you're right. I think a lot of people that have good common sense, I mean, aging is all about common sense and kind of being in touch with uh what's real and what's really pleasurable and not just holding on on principle. You know, I, I love mm-hmm. this quote that I use uh, all the time, which is happiness is letting go everything you think your life is supposed to be and celebrating everything that it really is. And mm-hmm. I'm a, a novelist. And I just like that so much because mm-hmm. it it's kind of training yourself to adapt to what's real. So what people resist, I'll tell you about one of the people I interviewed. Her name was Edith and Edith lives in Ohio. And when I interviewed her, her husband had just died, but she and her husband had moved into a retirement community and she couldn't get herself together to sell her house. And she couldn't afford to have two things going, an apartment and a retirement community house. And she said, I know this is terrible, but, and she says, it's just me. I'm in four book groups and I'm singing a choir. And she was just somebody who was trying to maintain her old way. And she said, what the lifestyle? She said, I sleep in the retirement community. Then I go back to my house and have lunch and work in my garden and maybe have a friend over for tea. And and have my book groups when they meet. And she said, I know that making me stressed out because I know this is not the right way to do. And she was the most resistant person I I interviewed and living the craziest kind of life. And yeah, kind of straddling both worlds there. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, a year later, I called her, I did a kind of check in and some of the people had found out she finally, a year later, had been able to sell that, but it was like way Mm-hmm. You know, ran down her finances. <laughs> oh my goodness. I know some other um, reasons people resist. And I know in the book, you mentioned some people, you know, it's, it's mindset also. I think there was one lady you talked about, she moved in and it was just really like her attitude. Like she didn't want to get to know people. Right. Well, that's it. Some people are, you know, and that gets us to attitude is so important for aging well. And there are some people that are loners, but I think that's certainly one of the answers to aging well is to make new connections and stay connected to other people. And, you know, there are people that just refuse to connect with anybody, but that's not, it's not good for their health. It's not good for their mm-hmm. well-being. No, not at all. No. Also, I loved how you identified the five groups of people coping with health issues. And I read through that list and I could picture someone for each type. <laughs> Do you want to share a little bit about those five types? Yes. And it, it ties in with what we're saying, because mm-hmm. I was in my uh, trying to like climb uh, this mountain, Cat Mountain, it was in the Adirondacks. 
I was holding on to who I had been. And uh, that's one of the styles. So the styles that I talk about, there are people that deny. And that's also Edith that denied that she couldn't have two houses. I mean, it wasn't realistic and you can't have two houses in the long run. But the deniers just keep doing what they've done. And it's really dangerous because some of them deny that they really, they have cataracts. I mean, I know a guy that he couldn't really see well, but he thought he knew the roads well enough so that he didn't need to read the signs. And one guy that it was doing a lot of woodworking and had Parkinson's and with those of power course. tools, it was, his wife was going crazy. Mm-hmm. So denying is, is really a very not good style to have. It's dangerous for people. And then there's the Stoics, and that's what I am in, by nature. I'm trying to train myself out of it. But Stoics are very, just keep going too. But they, they're not so crazy that they would use a power tool when their hands were going like this, shaking. Mm-hmm. But many of the people that I, or my friends, were sort of brought up to be Stoics. And uh, we kind of, you know, just do what we have to do and don't often pay attention to our feelings. And when we really need to take a nap, maybe people keep going or they keep cleaning things when they don't need to. So there's deniers and stoics. And then there's the people that that are realists and they kind of know what they've got something wrong with them and they kind of take care of it. And that is a very good lifestyle. And then I could read this. What, what is you had the list right there? What, yeah, the what, complainers. I know it's oh, the complainers. complainers. <laughs> the complainers, and they're the ones that are very unpopular. You know, in my world here, among my friends, it's not cool to complain. And people got sort of disappeared. With one woman here that was, it turned out there were also mean girls at our age too. Mm-hmm. There is. Yep. One complainer that. When uh, she'd say, well, my daughter, that wasn't nice. And she moved away. She, that wasn't kind. She should have stayed here. And, and she just she would tell us about what we didn't want to hear, you know, her indigestion, her acid reflux, her arthritis. So I noticed that, you know, when she'd go try to sit down at a table at dinner, people would say, oh, no, we're saving that for somebody. And they, they really weren't. They were mean. And so mm-hmm. that's not nice. But that that's complainers are not popular. And at our Mostly the culture, I think, among older people is one of kindness. And exactly. not, it mostly 95% people are very kind and mm-hmm. generous, but the complainers are, are not going to. No, that's that's that. tough to be around because it brings everyone down. You know, it's just you're trying to have a positive mindset and someone is complaining about everything. That's just no one wants to be around that. And, right. and I, I get that. And then your other one was the worrier. Oh, the worrier. I'm somewhat of a worrier, but more, much more stoic. But my husband was a worrier and he would take his blood pressure every day and kind of thinking maybe something would go wrong. And he'd get a little runny nose. And even when he was fairly young, it was like an annoying. Because uh, I remember one time we had a guests for dinner coming and he said, took to his bed when his just a little runny nose. And but he was a worrier. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I think, yeah, and I kind of in my book talk about strategies. Um, for dealing with each of these, because if you're married to a worrier, you can't just say, don't worry, that doesn't work. You can't tell someone not to do that. No, that just makes them mad. (laughs) It makes them mad, and it doesn't, exactly. So in the book, I give kind of steps for each one and help people to kind of realize that uh, if they are married to someone who's pretty realistic, they're very lucky because there's a lot of deniers around in the mm-hmm. world, a lot of stoics that don't take care of themselves. And, but it is interesting and um, that most people fall into one of those five. Yeah, they really do. So I thought that was very interesting. 
So tell us, you know, you talk about what's on the other side of letting go, letting go and holding on to who we were. What's on the other side of that? Yeah. And, and yeah, what makes it worthwhile? You know, I think there is a whole wonderful life the, on this side of letting go is stress, anxiety and worry and uh, pain. And so if you can get over and sort of do the letting go, which has to be intentional and usually has to take some doing. But when you do, people find that on this side of letting go, besides the lack of stress, there's this striving that so much of us, we're all into so much self-improvement, so many kind of uh, ambitions, uh, thinking of our careers. And if people can get over to really enjoying their older years and feeling it's okay to be exactly who you are, and you don't need to keep striving. And it's learning to just be. And what they find it is that it's a pleasure. And suddenly that people have had so little time to just say, well, what do I w- want to do? I mean, I, one person I interviewed and I talk about in the book says, what's great about being in my 80s, being older, is I can wake up every morning not to an alarm. You don't need to get up for all those years that we've gotten up for kids to get kids to school at ungodly hours, like Mm -hmm. seven o'clock. And she said, I get up and I think, now, what do I want to do today? And often there's nothing scheduled or some, she might have some meeting. She'll go to a coffee or something. And she said, when I think about my garden and uh, my friends and I kind of think, what do I want to do? And it and it's just uh, new for me in mm-hmm. a greater, yeah. So you do the things that bring you joy, which is probably why those in their 80s are the happiest. <laughs> they have time for it. And I yeah. think you know, all the time, I think, especially for women, friends are always important in their life, I think. But there are people often say, well, let's have lunch. And yet people that had jobs, it's kind of hard to squeeze it in. And yet, if as you get uh, into your 70s and 80s, there's more time to schedule being with uh, the family you want, your friends, and uh, have time for tea, a leisurely, you know, two-hour lunch, uh, you know, a mm-hmm. tea in the middle of the afternoon, all kinds of new possibilities. But there's other kinds of possibilities, too, on the other side of letting go. I mean, what I see is there's really a choice to, do I keep trying to repeat my life on the other side, or do I kind of create a new life and do some new things I hadn't done. And I think a lot of the tang and this real pleasure comes from doing some new things. I know I can tell you what I've done that's different. I never took classes at all. And uh, now I take a Tai Chi class mm-hmm. and um, I take a, a Zumba class, which is a wonderful. Both of them are the Tai Chi is kind of meditative and soothing. And and I do meditate now. But then I go to this um, dance class, which is just so much fun. The other thing is I have a new love, which is kind of interesting at my age and a boyfriend. And um, he's one of the people that he, one of the things he's done is he never did any art at all, but he Mm -hmm. something got him thinking, well, I'd like to go to the art class. So he went and had never held a piece of charcoal in his hand or a paintbrush or anything. And he now, that's his favorite time. So I think a lot of people find something new and um, it's a re-spiriting and it's a revisioning. And it's, um, I think that this idea of embracing change, it's about the whole attitude toward change and newness versus holding on to what you all, you're kind of like using your former 
patterns as kind of a like a life preserver. But once you find you can let go of that and see, you know, that you're a different person. Yeah, I think that's so important that people because I think that there are a lot of older people who think, well, I'm just going to sit home. I'm not going to do anything. They don't realize that you can try anything. And maybe that falls into those personality types, the complainers or whatever. But even like my grandparents passed away in the early 80s or early 1980s. They were in their 70s. But I remember visiting them and it was just they talked about when they died. (laughs) You know, it was always when I die, this is what I want. And it wasn't ever like experiencing anything new. Like that was never a thought. And um, I mean, I think people have come a long way since since that time. Yes, they have. But I think, in fact, sometimes when people get very down the line in the last stages of life, it makes sense to talk about when I die. But, mm-hmm. but what I think has happened is we live so much longer. We have this mm-hmm. additional 40 years. You know, when I was born, the average person died at 65. And that's why Social Security was uh, pegged at 65. Now, the average person is, is much closer to 78 or 80 that uh, is what people live to. And so that means the other, like half the people live to, there's in their 90s and hundreds. Mm-hmm. And they say that a good chunk of the babies that are born now will, will live to 100. And yeah. we have people that are 100 walking around this place. And- Absolutely. And working with seniors as I have for 15 years, I can tell you, I have I recently moved someone who was 100 years old into independent living. And as I shared with you before we started the podcast, some of my best friends are in their 90s. Yes. And that's why I think it's so important to have you on and talk about this. And, and I've had other people in their 80s and 90s on the podcast just to show that we can still keep living life. It, it's just maybe we change. We can't do some of the things we used to physically do, but there's so many other things. And one lady I had on, she's 81 or 82 now, and she skydives and I she know. takes groups of other people up skydiving. And like, that's amazing. That, that's amazing. That is truly amazing. Yeah. I know. And the other thing is that, you know, the research I found, too, that is there's so much good news that the average person doesn't know. And one of the things is we used to think that you can't teach an old dog new tricks mm-hmm. and that we I had heard growing up that, you know, every glass of wine you have, you lose some brain brain cells. Like so I kind of think if you get old enough, you'd have an empty head, you know, with no brain <laughs> cells left. But the fact is. We've learned, and this is actually in the last 20 years that we've learned that people can learn. The brain keeps developing. uh, Mm -hmm. And so that that learning is now a huge part of it. And there are lots of people are in these retirement communities that where you can take courses and uh, give courses too. And uh, Mm -hmm. that sort of learning, uh, this idea of lifelong learning has taken hold. But they also, what we didn't know 20 years ago is that the brain can heal itself. So if people have trauma, and a stroke or something that, that many people recover completely. I mm-hmm. mean, we have this person that had that was ran for Congress about a couple of days ago, and then he had the stroke the next day and was said was he was fine. So the, there's many more modern medicine has extended our life and our brains can it can heal. So that's really we didn't really know that before. We yeah. kind of thought it was all decline, and people still in their mind think uh, you, you were talking about the culture, uh, Lori, and I think we do have a culture of youth and uh, people try not to look old and try not to have wrinkles and who knows how much money is spent on cosmetics tons. But the other thing is uh, that I didn't know as a psychologist even that the research shows that people in their 70s and 80s, their emotions are healthier in a sense that they have less anger, 
they're less intense, less worry. So they kind of people calm down and kind of mellow out. And I know as a psychotherapist, I've had some couples and, you know, couples in their 20s, they throw things and shout and, but people mellow out and kind of make their peace with the world. So, and that is new too. We didn't understand that. I think that's interesting because I'm closing in on 60. I'm just a year and a half away from that. But I find that as well, that I am just much calmer And just, I think it's all of like a point of knowing who you are, really knowing who you are and liking who you are, you know, really achieving the things you want to achieve or, and just, you know, kind of knowing your path. I didn't know my path until I was, you know, my kids were older and, you know, kind of got an idea of what I wanted to do. But I definitely see that in my aging process that I'm just coming more into who I am. And you're on the brink with 60, as I've said, in that happiness zone. You know, it's true. And you have found your path. And I do think that at every older age, you get the chance to be who you really are. When you're in the middle of life, middle age, young adulthood, many of people have jobs which they don't get to figure out what they would want to do. They they have Mm -hmm. very little spare time. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And when we get my age, people, they don't want to have just leisure for their life and just mm-hmm. play, you know, be, it's, I think a false hope that you could play golf all day long or, you know, or Parcheesi and bridge or whatever. Mm-hmm. People I found that 80-year-olds are happiest when they have a purpose and maybe they have a volunteer job, maybe they have a hobby that they love, but that people still need to be contributing in some way. Exactly. And We've had several podcasts where we've talked about that, that purpose. Everyone needs a purpose. And I totally agree with that. I also think that the change over the years in retirement communities and what they've become are amazing and also lend themselves to people living better quality of lives because these communities have all kinds of things you can do, like art lessons, like Tai Chi, like, you know, learning to meditate, all these things where, you know, maybe 15, 20 years ago, there was only bingo, you know, <laughs> there's so many nursing homes, you know, which exactly. was very sick people. It was that kind of mm-hmm. a place of last resort and a retirement community with independent living is more an alternative lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. it's great because, you know, a lot of people, as we get older, maybe we can't drive like we used to, maybe our vision or, or whatever it may be. And then that can be isolating if you're staying in your home, but in a retirement community, oh, yes. you just have to walk to whatever room, Tai Chi is in or Zumba, you know, you just go there. Yeah, yep, it's, it's true. And uh, mm-hmm. so you get a chance to explore what kind of roads not taken, you know, that Peter, um, my boyfriend never had tried any art, you know, he's busy mm-hmm. as an educator doing uh, running a school. So now I think it's like a new frontier. So if the other yeah. side of letting go is a new frontier and new options uh, and just the, the fullness of life. Mm-hmm. And as you said, finding unexpected happiness in that freedom. Yeah. Wonderful. So I appreciate you so much being on here. I just, like I said, I love the book. My mom is 82. I'm sending her a copy of the book because I think it's, I think it's something she really needs to, to read as well as anyone. I think it's a great book for anyone, whether you know, you're know you my age and your parent is in their 80s. I feel like it gives you kind of a glimpse into understanding better what's going on with them. And and in each chapter, I liked how you had like talking points, kind of like, you know, if you're the senior, these are some questions to think about. If you're the child of the, the 80 something person, these are some things to think about and to ask them. Yeah, people love the conversation starters mm-hmm. and kind of the tips. Yeah, tips for families. 
By the way, the book is coming out in paperback in July, but um, it's you can get it on Amazon. Sometimes there's, it's also auto, there's a Kindle where you can read it. But it is very exciting, this idea of it, paperbacks. And I have a blog, which people might be interested in on okay. Age Well. It comes out once a month. Mm-hmm. They can go to katherineste.com and get to my website and then just go to blog. And I have a whole series. I've done one a month and they're all there about aging well. And, um, and it's from a psychological point of view. There's more guidelines on finance and kind of the nuts and bolts of medical things. But what is kind of unknown to people is the whole psychological life of 80 people in their 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and how what we're really like and what matters to us. So mm-hmm. hope people find it. And your website's wonderful. We'll put it out there as well, because you've been interviewed a lot on podcasts. And it's just a great website. I mean, did you think at 87, you would have this bestseller book oh. and be interviewed on podcasts? Look at you. I didn't, and you know, I was on the in the New, New York Times too, yes. and on CNN. So I, loved, I got to be interviewed. I make it a joke. I sort of peaked at 87. <laughs> but it wasn't, it's been a flowering. And I see that in so many older people. And it's just a very nice thing to to feel that there is a sort of blooming continues, you know. Exactly. I saw your PBS interview too. That was excellent with Tommy Chong and there were several other people on there. And then your New York Times article. So I read that as well. And I thought that was excellent. So you are definitely blossoming, as you said. (laughs) (laughs) It's uh, lovely to be here and it's lovely to be at the stage of life where I, like so many other people, can figure out what I what's the really authentic me and be it and just enjoy it. So. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure um, talking to you and having you on the podcast. And I think your book's going to help a lot of people as they go into their 70s and their 80s and know kind of what to expect. So thank you so much for being on the show. And we will put out a link to your website and where people can get your book and sign up for your newsletter and your blog and everything. And thank you. It was a pleasure. You're a wonderful interviewer and I've enjoyed it. It's been a wonderful time. So thanks. Great. Well, thank you. And thank you all for listening. We'll have information where you can, like I said, find Catherine's book and we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. 